Hello, listeners to the NK News Podcast. This is your host, Jacko Zwetslut, speaking. Uh, today's a truly special episode. It's actually two interviews back-to-back in one bumper summer special episode, part of the mini-series on the 1989 13th World Festival of Youth and Students that took place in Pyongyang. Today I was able to, or this for this episode, I was able to interview two people who directly participated in the festival one of them is Tobias Schellström, now a, a teacher in Stockholm, but back then he was an indie musician. Uh, and the other is Monique Macias, who was uh, born in Equatorial Guinea, came to North Korea as, I believe, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, uh, lived there for 15 years and left uh, just before Kim Il-sung died in uh, 1994 uh, and has since then has lived in various places around the world, now lives in, in London, England. So I hope you enjoy these two interviews with participants of the 1989 festival. Thanks for listening. Listeners and welcome to the NK News Podcast. Today's episode was recorded in Seoul on Thursday, 13th June 2019 via Skype. And my special guest today via Skype is Tobias or Tobias. Which do you prefer? Tobias. Tobias. And am I saying this right? Shellstrom. Yes, perfectly. He is the first person that I was able to contact who actually participated in the 13th World Festival of Youth and Students in Pyongyang 30 years ago in uh, July 1989. And he now works as a school teacher in Sweden. Welcome on the show, Tobias. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, uh, how did you come to join the Swedish national delegation to that festival? Had you heard about the festival before? No, I. it was... We were invited, uh, I believe, as uh, as a band. I was playing at, uh, with a band at the time. Ah, what was the name so, of your band? Athletic Arabs. Athletic Arabs. Kind of corn. <laughs> were any of you Arabs? No, actually not. Okay. And, uh, athletic Arabs. And how many of you were in the band? Uh, five of us. And what kind of music did you play? What do you say? Uh, pop with horns, maybe? Okay, and so it was in that capacity as a band that all of you were invited to join the national delegation? Yes. So how large was the total delegation, do you remember? 30 to 40. Okay, well, I that's... don't remember exactly, but around there. It's a, it's a big delegation then. And as you point out, it was a mixture of uh, people from cultural uh, and political fields. Were there also some athletes or uh, sports stars? Yes, there were. There were... Two guys, then they were playing what do you call table tennis. Yep. Uh, and they were there, yeah, playing. But they were the only ones into uh, sports. Uh, describe for us, if you would, please, the uh, the journey from Stockholm to Pyongyang. Well, we went first. We went to Moscow, and so um, from Moscow we went to uh, Shabarovsk, and uh, from Shabarovsk directly to Pyongyang. It's a very special journey. It was. Uh, a big party. Yeah, it actually. looked. You you shared some photographs with me, uh, and it, it looked very festive inside the plane. It was. Were people playing music and singing? Yes, and it was dancing. And first, the stewardess, the Aeroflot people, they tried to make people sit, <laughs> but after a while, even the Aeroflot people started to share the Russian champagne. Ah. <laughs> so it was a big party. Uh, down to Pyongyang. Now, what was your impression of the city when you arrived in Pyongyang? Was it, was it impressive? Did it look new? How did it feel? Uh, it looked like many other socialist countries in architecture style. And uh, it was quite new, um, but 
the the airport was very very small. Uh, it seemed kind of strange dropping down there. The city was big, and there were they have newly built roads, very big roads actually, uh, but almost no cars. So it was kind of strange, and there was a lot of people. They were uh, greeting us uh, in some sort of, you know, a lot of children standing with flowers and waving hands and stuff like that. We didn't believe at the time that it was spontaneous, but I think they were actually quite curious. So um, a lot of people were watching. It looked kind of new. Many things looked new when we arrived. And uh, uh, were the f the facilities where you stayed and where you visited were they the kind of facilities that you would expect for an international festival? I mean, how how was the standard? It was quite good, as I recall them. They had built, I think it was newly built along uh, what do you call the street, Quanbok Street, I okay. think. Okay. Yep. Yep. And it was a sort of suburb to um, to Pyongyang, and I guess that today. These are normal apartments for for people working in Pyongyang. Right, I believe that they are. Yeah, they're now just uh, ordinary Pyongyang citizens' apartments. Okay, so you stayed in one of these brand new apartments at the time. Yes, we did. Was it managed like a like a youth hostel, or or was it really just an independent apartment and you cooked for yourself and and did your own thing? We could cook for ourselves, but we didn't. You know, we couldn't buy any food. There were big, uh, what is, uh, cantinas, or it's better word, cantinas, I think, than restaurants, uh, alongside the street. So we had coupons that we had to go, and we went to this cantina, and we get lunch, uh, no, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We got everything. We got kind of bored of the of the food. We tried to um, to get out in the city and look for a Korean restaurant sure. where we could eat. So uh, we had this guy that were following us all the time. So we had to sneak away from him, and we managed to do that. But after a while, there was a new guy turning up, say hello, how are you? <laughs> Uh, and he actually took us to a to a more Korean, North Korean, normal cantina, and went to eat there. So it was it was different. So was everybody else around you in that cantina a Korean? Yes, they were North Korean. So. So you were the only uh, foreigners there at that yes. place. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now you said you were, you were looking for some, you were bored of the food. You were looking for something different. Does that mean that the well, you're looking for Korean food. Does that mean that the food served in the cantinas was not Korean food? Uh, some sort of mix. I just remember it as quite, after a while, it didn't taste so much. You know, I have to say, I'm in 30 years, I don't think much has changed in, that, uh, uh, in the food aspect. <laughs> I can easily understand that. Uh, what do you remember about the structure and organization of the festival itself? As a participant, you notice the structure, especially in the opening ceremony and in the closing ceremony. As a band, as we had sort of we had a school in Pyongyang that was ours. 
the Swedish delegation together with uh, the Finnish, the, the other Scandinavian countries. You mean you had a you, a school building or facility was yeah. was assigned to you to use as you liked? Yes, there we could rehearsal, and so we did, and we invited people from other countries, uh, Latin American, uh, European countries, and so forth. Uh, we had concerts and we met people there. And uh, at two times we were playing outside in Pyongyang, first in a park. Uh, but the second time we, we played outside. We uh, were playing near the Jötje uh, monument. You yeah, know, the, the Jötje Tower, yes. Yes, the Jötje Tower. And uh, it was an island in the Taedong um, River. And we... We played out there in front of North Koreans and some people from other countries. Yes, I remember you uh, you shared a photograph with me um, showing you uh, without a shirt uh, playing playing with your band at the foot of the Juche Tower uh, next to the Taedong River. That tower is quite a uh, a special place in uh, in North Korean ideology. You know, every feature yes, of the tower, every meter, every step has some significance. Uh, Kim Il Sung's seventieth birthday, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Uh, do you remember how North Korean audiences responded to your music, to your performance? I remember there was an old lady that started to dance, mm. but otherwise they were sitting and uh, applauding when they should. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mentioned to you that we had two athletes with us, uh, table tennis players. Right. And they had watched our concert on on the national TV, uh, but they they broadcasted, I think, live, but with North Korean music over our music. When you were playing at the Juche Tower, did any of the North Koreans seem upset that you were not wearing a shirt next to the sacred tower of the immortal Juche idea? No, nothing what we what I could see, but hmm. I was 20 years old and I didn't think too much. Right. Now, in the same photograph, in the foreground, on top of a speaker, there is a can of Coca-Cola. And uh, in another photo that you shared with me, there was a can of Pepsi and I believe some Japanese beer. So were these uh, kinds of imperialist drinks available for sale in Pyongyang at the time? I think it was available to us, uh, to the people that came there. But I don't think it was available for everybody. Right. And you, I think you needed our kind of coupons to, to get them. Right. And uh, did you take part or did you see any of the political uh, activities of the festival, any of the debates or, or discussions? No, not the d debates or discussions. Uh, there were other Swedish delegates that took part in those. But in the opening ceremony, this was, you know, it was very close to uh, the, the Chinese protests. Yes, uh, just four weeks yeah. after the Tiananmen Square massacre. And Kim Il-sung greeted the Chinese for suppressing the Contra revolution. Mm. So in the opening ceremony, the Swedish delegation did a uh, protest. It wasn't our idea. It, well, we had some politicians with us. I think uh, one uh, social democrat, Kent Carlson, he was, I think he was the driving force. Uh, and we had a banner with some sort of message 
and we all took on uh, what do you say white headbands you know if you if you remember the protests uh, the students were wearing some sort of headbands and we used them as a symbol for them and what was the reaction of the north korean organizers to this nothing happened at the time but they um, they made a video of the opening ceremony and we were of course not on it ah and uh, on the closing ceremony we uh, instead when we, when you had walked through this may day stadium you were uh, you were assigned to sit and we when we sat and watched the rest of the closing ceremony at the stadium that was uh, we were separated from each other and we were sitting together with uh, north korean uh, i would say some sort of policeman or something like that in a uniform not in a uniform but it was quite obvious that they weren't just citizens wow gosh so uh, wow uh, what else do you remember from the uh, the opening uh, ceremony uh, i remember we uh, it was quite a long walk up to may day stadium This is the stadium that was completed just before the beginning of the festival, right? It was built especially yes. for the festival, and it holds 150,000 people. Yeah, it's it's very big. In the streets out in Pyongyang, there was, you know, there were uh, these choreographed children everywhere alongside the, the road, and uh, you were supposed to walk there and smile, you know, like the Olympics or something like that. And then we, we came to the stadium, and... Uh, Half of the stadium, they had these images, you know, people making images with the different colored, oh, uh, yes. um, like a big tifo. The, the, the flip books and they make a mosaic picture. Exactly. So um, that was the opening ceremony. It was quite special. It, it took almost a day. Wow. And you, you mentioned that Kim Il-sung spoke at this uh, opening ceremony. Yes, but I, I don't remember much of it. Mm. Okay. What about at the uh, the closing ceremony? What do you remember from that? Apart from sitting separately uh, next to the North Korean burly policeman. Ah, it was like the opening ceremony with uh, yeah, the same kind of choreographed uh, stuff. Was that also almost one day long? It, yes, it was kind of long. And uh, we were all quite tired, so I think... We were half asleep, and after the closing ceremony, we went directly to our plane. Oh, I see. Okay, right. So in the whole week, the first day is basically nothing but uh, opening ceremony, and the last day is nothing but closing ceremony and leaving. So you really only yes. had uh, five days or so uh, of the festival itself. Yeah, of the festival itself, but we came Uh, many days before ah. it started. So I think we were there at least two weeks. Oh, I see. Oh, that's quite a long trip. I mean, even these days, uh, most uh, tourist trips to North Korea, they are uh, five days or seven days. If it's long, mm -hmm. it can be 10 days. So two weeks is quite long. My guess is, I mean, the airport is kind of, I mean, it was a very small airport, mm -hmm. I think, to get in all the people and to get them out it would have taken some time it must have been a logic logistical nightmare for some people in north korea i would say yeah now i read in a uh, an academic paper that um of the the overseas people who are there and and again we don't have accurate numbers the number could be anywhere between 15,000 and 20,000 visitors from overseas uh, i read that most of them six out of seven Uh, were men. Uh, did you get that feeling that it was a very male-centered festival? I didn't 
think of it. Uh, the Swedish delegation, I would say that we were, there were quite a lot of, I mean, we were mixed. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that feeling. And, and when we were, uh, we played a, a soccer game, football game. Yeah. Uh, and I played with the Faroe Islands because they were only two girls uh, from Faroe Islands. Swedish and uh, Norwegian delegates uh, played for for the Faroe Islands. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met a team from Latin America that was all male. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe the Scandinavians were different. Well, what kind of conversations did you have with uh, North Koreans, for example, with your guides whom you saw every day? Did you have, uh, I suppose, over a week, you got to know them pretty well? Yes, but not that well, because you you could always feel some sort of distance. Mm. Um, at some point, our guide was turning quite friendly. Otherwise, it was like, you know, we felt the distance. You couldn't speak... You didn't get too friendly. Right. What, what about North Korean local musicians? Did you see any? We did not. Uh, at Quambok Street, in these blocks where the, all the delegates were living, there were big parties mm-hmm. every night in the beginning Yeah. and before the opening ceremony and so on. But after a while, people you know, were playing and uh, it was a lot of music and dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only contact we had with uh, with North Korean music was when they tried to stop these these parties, uh-huh. and they stopped it with uh, there came in trucks with uh, North Korean folk dancers, <laughs> and uh, they started to play very very loud North Korean traditional or whatever uh, music, and they started to dance folk music, some sort of dance to stop these parties they didn't i my interpretation today is that they were they didn't want to use violence or coercive methods so they did this and thought it was a good way to get rid of all of this um, you might have been aware that there was a, a South, one South Korean woman who uh, went to uh, Pyongyang to represent all the South Korean university students. Uh, her name was Im Sukyong, and while she was there, she gave many speeches and spoke at many rallies. Did you see her? No, I did not, unfortunately. Hmm. Okay, so she wasn't in the opening or closing ceremony as far as you can remember? Uh, no, because in the opening ceremony, much of the time we were outside the stadium uh-huh. and... Uh, after a while we got in and uh, then we get out again so we didn't see everything did you you mentioned there was one time when you got away successfully from your guides and and found uh, another guide who took you to a a local restaurant were there any other times that you were uh, uh, you know away from the eyes of uh, of your guides yes uh, I remember particularly one time, the Quangbok Street where we were living, it was the end of the city. So uh, we went out for a walk. It was our trombone player. Mm-hmm. And he is very tall. I mean, he is over two meters. Oh, that's very tall. Yeah, that's very tall, especially in North Korea. Yeah. And uh, Kaisa from Kaisa and Maliana and some other people, we went out just for an excursion, you know, uh, looking at the uh, countryside. And after a while, we came to a small village, not far away. Maybe we walked for 20 or 30 minutes, something like that. But it was a small 
uh, farming village with uh, a lot of small kids running around and pigs and and so on. I think they've they got very surprised when we showed up, but. From our point of view, we were quite happy that we could see something else. Yeah, we right. could see, oh, so this is uh, North Korean life. Mm-hmm. Um, we couldn't, of course, speak to anyone. And they were, I mean, they must have thought that we were from another planet or something. Mm. And then we went back and we were another day trying to take a walk outside. Uh, but then we were stopped by a North Korean policeman, not mm-hmm. in uniform, but with sunglasses. And they were very, very clear that we could not walk any further. And we said, we want to walk there. And they say, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. So that was the end of that. Did you hear about any other groups that had adventures outside the city? No, I we did not. There were some other, you know, you could see from Norway, there were some lesbian women there and they had sent up a balloon that said uh, lesbians are everywhere or something like that. Uh, and the North Korean police came to their apartment and... Uh, asked them to pull that uh, to pull that uh, balloon down uh, but i think they did some of uh, these women they did something unexpected they pulled the balloon down and they uh, rewrote a message and said uh, lesbians are everywhere except for north korea or something like that wow. it was quite funny Gosh, I'm just thinking it can't be easy to uh, to get here unless they brought it with them from Norway. But now it's, it's interesting because th- now, 30 years later, it's still not really a topic that's talked about uh, in North Korea. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other uh, interesting uh, incidents or anecdotes that you remember from the festival weeks? No, not that is especially. I remember when I was talking to Russian people at the time or Soviet people, and the Soviet people, they had a lot of people from uh, Afghanistan, uh, veterans. They had sent them there for some sort of, you know, here you can have a nice time or something like right, that. Right, like a reward, yeah. Yeah, like a reward. Uh, but they felt like, for the first time, they felt that they came from the free world. It was quite obvious that it was a di- dictatorship or... I don't know. I, I don't find the words, but they felt that they were more free than them. Now, after you went back to uh, to Sweden, how did you look back and feel about the festival as a whole? A very, very strange experience. And uh, I mean, our driving force to get there was curiosity, I think. I mean, even at that time, North Korea seemed to be a quite odd country. So uh, we were very curious. We weren't communists or socialists, especially at that time, but we were curious. And uh, after this, this trip was very, very strange in many sort of ways. So uh, our experience from North Korea, we had to digest, so to speak, but uh, we sometimes speak, speak of it even today. Nowadays, when I'm, a, when I'm a teacher, a lot of students ask questions about North Korea. But I think the interest in North Korea has risen these last 
five, ten years, something like that. Yeah, I certainly would agree with that. Have you had any feeling or any desire to go back to North Korea since that uh, trip? Not really. I think I I have a colleague that went to uh, to North Korea in these uh, normal, what do you say, tourist uh, excursions. And it seems like it's something very, very different. It's much more controlled. So I I know I wouldn't like to do one of those trips. I know that some people thought uh, at the time of the festival in 1989 that, uh, wow, North Korea might be opening up and, and changing as well. Looking back, does it feel something like a strange dream? You know, like you said, now it's it's more controlling and the festival is long forgotten in North Korea. I don't know, but maybe we thought that North Korea was opening up. I mean, it was the feel of the time. It seems like so many bad things happened also, maybe even due to the festival. I mean, they must have, uh, it must have been very, very expensive for them. When you heard about the famines and stuff like that, that happened just afterwards. I think maybe there was a connection, so I, we didn't feel too good about it. Uh, well, uh, can we have your permission, Tobias, to use some of your photographs on the website when we put the podcast up? Absolutely. You're free to use them. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining us today, Tobias Schoström. It was really interesting hearing about your experiences in Pyongyang in 1989. And thank you. It was nice to talk about it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the NK News podcast, recorded here in Seoul on June 13, 29. And today I'm joined via Skype by Monique Macias, living in London, England, but with a unique life story. Monique was born in Equatorial Guinea and grew up in Pyongyang, North Korea. She graduated at the University of Light Industry with a Bachelor of Arts as a textile designer. Since leaving North Korea, Monique has been working as a fashion designer in countries including Spain, South Korea, and the US. She recently wrote a book about her life in North Korea, which will soon be translated into English. And uh, now Monique is studying for a master's in international relations at the School of Oriental and African Studies in London. Hello, Monique, and thanks for joining me. Hello, Chaka. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're welcome. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the 1989 13th World Festival of Youth and Students, which you participated in. But you actually lived in North Korea for a total of 15 years. And uh, your book about your childhood growing up in Korea as a personal guest of Kim Il-sung will finally come out in English next year. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Are you able to tell us anything about that book? Yes. So my book is divided in three parts. So the first part uh, explore my childhood in uh, North Korea. And the second part, I talk about when I came to Western society, mm-hmm. my experience uh, from Madrid to New York and South Korea and Equatorial Guinea in Africa, and uh, lastly, uh, London. And uh, the third part, it's kind of wrapping up my experience and reflection on what I have seen and what I have learned from my experience in an academic context. Because now, as you said, 
I am doing a um, master degree in international relation and diplomacy. So mm. now, because of your uh, uh, contract with your publisher, you're not able to talk much about the book. So we'll uh, have to leave that for next year when the book comes out. But uh, I'm I'm curious about one thing. We're doing this interview uh, in English, but you actually speak a number of of different languages. So uh, can I ask you what languages do you speak, and how do you rank them in terms of which ones you are most fluent in? I would rank them in a following way. Mm-hmm. Um, Korean would be number one because I'm fluent. Is the, the the language that I uh, think and I express much better than other language. And then comes it used to be Spanish, but I realize now is Spanish and English is at the same level. I did study uh, Chinese while I was living in China. Mm. The company I used to work, the fashion company, yep. had a branch in uh, Shenzhen uh-huh. and Shanghai. So, now, what actually, what made you leave uh, the world of fashion and and move into academia, uh, international relations and diplomacy? That's quite a big step. Uh, everybody asked me that question. Even my sister doesn't understand me why I did such thing. But <laughs> you know, the world uh, we are living now is is in a constant changing, mm-hmm. and I I just wanted to understand. Uh, I realized one day reading a book. Uh, it's about republic, and reading that book, I realized that what I experienced. It's not something new. It's already written. Many people have academic uh, have written about those things. Mm. So that that kind of things made me, I would say, triggered my curiosity and go to the university and really study about that things. So it's all part of a, a journey of discovery, uh, discovering the world and also discovering yourself, I guess, isn't it? Yes, because when I left, the reason, main reason I left North Korea was because I had identity crisis. Mm. Because I am, as you know, I am, in terms of color, I am brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because I'm mixed race, uh, Spain and Equatorial Guinea. And having grown up in an Asian culture, uh, I had a that crisis and I needed to know. So I went back to Spain, Equatorial Guinea and try to find out who I am, where I'm coming from, and that would help me where I'm going. Mm. Well, that's good. I, I certainly wish you well uh, on that journey. Let's, uh, let's now turn our, our gaze to, uh, to Pyongyang, to 1989, uh, sure. which is exactly 30 years ago, and there was a, a one-week-long uh, festival from July 1st to 8th, uh, called the 13th World Festival of Youth and Students. Now, at that time when the festival happened, you had already been living in North Korea for 10 years, uh, and you, yes. were, uh, you were used to being uh, one member of a very, very small group of foreigners who were living long-term in that country, weren't you? So you had, we uh, you had your brother and sister, and you had a few other friends, but most of the people mm-hmm. around you, 99.9% of the people around you, were all North Korean. But there were, I need to tell you that there were some student, foreign students already there in 1999. So uh, Syrian students, exchanging students, there were stu- uh, Syrian students. There were about uh, 10, 10, 15 of them. And then there were uh, a lot of, of Chinese students and few students from Russia and then African students who came to study agriculture in that country. So there were 
I can't say a lot of uh, foreigners like uh, here in in London, but there were there were students. So would you say it would be around one hundred or two hundred foreign students? Yeah, I would say I would say so. And and when you heard, you know, when you learned that there was going to be a festival in July nineteen eighty nine, and somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand young people from all around the world were going to come and participate, how did mm -hmm. that make you feel? Wow, excitement! It was excitement to, you know, to know new culture. I always have been interested in in in, in cultures. The only culture we were living in in Pyongyang we were able to be interacting with cultures from a communist country in that era like Russian China and uh, uh, Czechoslovakia in that time yeah and uh, Hungary so but with the festival was more broad um, different countries coming in in uh, in North Korea so it was excitement to get to know these new cultures, how they interact, how they are. So, yeah. And at the time, you were, uh, I believe, 17 years old. Uh, yes. So almost, but not quite uh, an adult. W which of the activities did you participate in at the festival? I, because I wasn't representing any country in a festival, so I wasn't participating as a to represent any country and participate in in, in in events. I was rather audience, go to see the sports events. Uh, mostly I was interested, but I knew what was going on in the city. There were political activities as well. But what most attracted me was the sport events and Im Sugyong. I don't know. Have you heard about her, Im Sugyong? She. Oh yes. Oh yeah. She was the um, representative from from South Korea students organization, and she almost became not almost actually she became uh, how you say in English the uh, uh, celebrity in Pyongyang, and, and everyone was talking about her, her how she present herself, how eloquent she was. And I remember my classmates, after seeing her, her style, because we, even me, everyone loved her style and everyone just cut the hair like her. And it was quite, yeah, yeah, exciting. So she became kind of a revolution, Im Sugyong revolution yeah. in the city. Yeah, because when she, when she first came to Pyongyang, she wore uh, blue jeans and, and a white T-shirt, I think, didn't she? Yes. And at that time it was... Uh, well, unthinkable for a woman to wear jeans in North Korea, wasn't it? Yeah, and actually, there there's no one wearing a jean in North Korea, so to wear or to buy jean was impossible. But what they did, my classmate, was they copied her hairstyle, and yeah, that's what 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 was going on. And also, I remember when she did in DMZ the um, hunger strike, I did. As well, but my reason, my main reason, was to, to just to um, to lost the weight. <laughs> <laughs> so you joined a hunger strike, not in solidarity, but in the interest of losing weight. Yeah. To be honest, I'll be honest with you. No, uh -huh. I, I didn't care what was going. Why she was? Uh, first of all, I think I was seventeen, young, mm -hmm. and I really didn't into the what was going on politically. So I was rather oh i'm just i always has been fat so i want to lose this is the good time to lose weight so right. i did the strike <laughs> did, did you ever see her up close in real life no i saw her on tv mostly uh 
but not in real life. I remember I wanted to go to the stadium where she gave a speech. Yes. But for some reason, I I can't remember right now quickly why I didn't go to, to that, the stadium. I end up watching the TV and I saw her on TV, but not in real life. Were there any uh, uh, young people there from Equatorial Guinea? Yeah, it was strange, very strange to, for me, it was the first time seeing my my um, people from my country. So I was very curious about them, to see them, how they act, how they represent themselves. It was different. It was a new experience to me, yes. And I read uh, in uh, an academic paper that most of the uh, of the overseas people who came to the festival were, were men, and that there were a very, very small number of, uh, of overseas women who came to the festival. Did you get that feeling? Did you see that? Well, no, I didn't get that feeling because I saw uh, uh, in sports events there were a lot of women who came mm. very tall. It was impressive. The reason I remember them because it was impressive. They were very tall, and that's why I remember them right now. I did see women. I did. Now, um, the uh, the date of the festival was only uh, a little bit less than four weeks after the uh, the Tiananmen Square uh, incident in in Beijing, where uh, many students were killed. Did you know about that at the time, or did you hear about it from other students? Yes, because, um, like I said before, there was a lot of Chinese students. Mm -hmm. So I sense Chinese students. There was kind of unrest. Mm. I start asking. Obviously, in 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 North Korean mainstream media, there was no, no. Uh, announcement about that. So how I knew it was through my Chinese friends talking about the that what was happening in their country. So yeah, I I knew. Now, did it seem to you at the time that uh, North Korea might be changing or becoming more open? Oh yes. Despite what many people in Western think, in Korea there's been always changing. Now, if you ask me the speed of change, how is the speed of change? Then I will tell you it's like very slow. But changing always has been in Korea. But they change in their own way. I arrived in Korea in 70s, and from 70 to 89, we are talking about, there were changes. But that change, you can't compare that change with the, like a change that China has made mm. or change that uh, other Western countries don't, don't. Because we need to look at Korea through the, um, a different pyramidism, not the same pyramidism that you look at in other country. But it doesn't mean there is not, no changes. There is change. Now, um, unlike most people who, uh, who left at the end of the festival, uh, you stayed in Pyongyang for five more years, mm -hmm. uh, almost until the time of uh, Kim Il-sung's death. Um, yes. So that, that period after the festival, was the festival quickly forgotten? Did there seem to be any long-lasting effects or changes? I wouldn't say that's that much. Mm. The controls keep, was keep going on like before, but there was changing. So a few 
kind of changing, yeah. And did it have any long-lasting effects on any of your friends? Like you mentioned the, the, the very short-term effect that some of them changed their hairstyles, but was there anything longer-lasting? No, what I would say, not in that sense. What I would say, of course they know because we study history as well in North Korea. So we are aware the world is much bigger, it's different. We are aware of that. But it's always within communist parties, yeah. uh, I mean, communist countries. There has been always interaction with Russia, for example, Russian artists coming to perform in, in Pyongyang, for example, ballet. So there, there's been always this interaction with China as well. Mm. So there's that awareness that exists different culture in the world. But since they don't have the contact with the Western, that's what is different to them. So their questioning is all around what they know, which is within these communist bloc countries. So I heard that the uh, the food situation in North Korea at that time was not uh, really great, uh, that there was a, a, a bad harvest in 1987 that uh, means the, uh, there was less food than before. Now, in 1989, suddenly they had to give food to all these visiting people uh, coming for the festival. Did that mean that ordinary North Koreans had a bit less to eat in 1989? Did you hear any talking about that? Uh, 1980s. You you couldn't sense that, mm -hmm. but it's more in nineties. Uh, now I, I really that's the uh, the end of my questions for you about the festival. And because of your uh, your book contract, we'll have to wait until next year when we can get you back on the podcast to talk more about your life in general and your your incredible journey from uh, Africa to uh, North Korea to America and then to Europe. It's, it's an incredible journey, and, and we really look forward to having you on again next year. But subscribers to NK News can uh, go on to the nknews.org website and find some of your old columns that you wrote for NK News a couple of years ago and can read them to get a little preview, a little taste of what they might learn from your book when it comes out next year. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank you very much, Monique, for joining us today on the, uh, the NK News podcast. Uh, thank you very mm -hmm. much for your time. And uh, listeners, don't forget to uh, get on to nknews.org to check all of our uh, previous podcast episodes. Leave a review, leave some comments, send some feedback, make some guest suggestions, uh, and uh, check us again next time. <laughs> <laughs>